Welcome to Forward Filmmaker, a podcast from FilmHub. I'm Max Sanders. You may know me from my podcast, Buzz in the Tower, where I discuss my favorite 80s films. But this one is different. The film industry is changing, and filmmakers must adapt. On Forward Filmmaker, we'll be talking with directors and producers about the pains and opportunities facing the modern filmmaker. This podcast is brought to you by FilmHub, the number one film distribution platform. Join thousands of filmmakers who are keeping their rights and getting paid on time. Submit your film today at filmhub.com and have it streamed on Amazon Prime Video, IMDb TV, Tubi, the Roku Channel, Plex, and dozens more. Joining me today is Los Angeles-based actor, producer, and director, David Lasher. David has an extensive acting background with roles on iconic 20th century TV shows, including Beverly Hills 90210, Hey Dude, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Blossom, Full House, and Roseanne. In more recent years, he has directed and co-written the award-winning film Sister, now streaming on Tubi and Amazon Prime. David also co-created the viral 2019 short comedy series, Cruisers and Shakers. He has successfully made the leap from actor to writer-director and has a variety of projects on the horizon. Today, he'll be talking about the acting to directing shift and how his experiences on the other side of the camera help inform his directorial style. David, welcome to Forward Filmmaker. Thank you for having me. So I want to say first off, your late 80s Nickelodeon show, Hey Dude, was a favorite in the Sanders household. So big fan over here. Thank you. I, it was a good time in my life as well. So you were raised in the suburbs of New York City and had this extensive acting background with roles on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Roseanne, Beverly Hills 90210, and the list goes on. How did you get into acting as a kid? Uh, I did um, theater when I was in eighth grade. And ninth grade, and I didn't really tell many of my friends, you know, I, I, I don't know. It was something I would just enjoy doing, you know, like uh, the camaraderie with the cast and putting on a play, and I just loved it. And uh, one of the shows that I did was called uh, By Audition Only, and it was a musical. Uh, and uh, during that show, uh, managers and agents came and uh, I was uh, I signed with a manager named Shirley Grant, who uh, you know she had the Cosby Kids and um, Allison Smith from Annie, and she was like you know she was a real great mentor, and uh, and her office you know like started right away sending me in on all kinds of commercials, and then uh, by by. 10th grade, I was auditioning for TV pilots and TV shows. Um, I remember I flew, uh, was it ninth grade or 10th grade? I, I flew to LA to test for a series regular role on Who's the Boss. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> With Alyssa Milano. Yep. And, uh, and Tony Danza. And I didn't get it, but I, it was like a, it was, it, it wet my palate and I was just, Gung ho, and then later in that year, I got a, a a pilot for NBC, and I was just off and running. So it was a kind of a quick process for you. It seems like it wasn't like you were four years old being trotted off to commercials. No, no, my it was not part of my like real childhood. You know, by like ninth or tenth grade, I was I was going from high school. Scarsdale High School was not far from the train station. Mm -hmm. so I, I would I would either get a quick cab or catch a ride to the train station after school and go right into Manhattan. And I'd be off on, you know, on my auditions 
running around the city on my own. That's awesome. So you have all the success being an actor. When did you decide to shift your focus to writing and directing? Oh, that was many years later. Uh, I think like after Sabrina ended in 2003, within a couple years, I partnered up with um, Todd Cammy, who was uh, uh, like my brother-in-law. My wife is Jill. Her brother, Scott, was married to Todd's wife. So we were sort of family. He, he had been selling screenplays for a long time, and he really taught me how to write screenplays, and we started co-writing together. And uh, we sold one pilot to Fox that took like a year of development and after that, we just were like, you know, let's write something that we can make ourselves, you know? Yeah. So we ended up writing Sister, and it took a number of years to get that made. But he was he was uh, my partner in screenwriting. So speaking of Sister, it's this powerful portrayal of mental health, adolescence, and family. And it feels really true to life. The sibling relationship between Billy and Nikki comes off as authentic. Is that based on any personal experiences of yours? Yeah, so Sister um, was born from the idea, uh, I have a, a, a mom who struggled with mental illness. My father passed away untimely, and I had a young adopted sister that I really didn't know very well because I was, you know, I was 14 when my mom and dad adopted Carly uh, who is Nikki. Um, and, you know, as we discussed, I was like flying to LA. I was living in California and then I was living in Tucson, uh, junior and senior year of high school doing Hey Dude. So I wasn't even really home during her formative years. Uh, and when my dad passed away and my mother struggled with her issues and I had to take uh, guardianship of legal guardianship of Carly, the the screenplay was born from the idea of like, what would happen if this kid had to come crashing into my life? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, we had to dramatize it in, in the sense that we had to make my character uh, struggling in a way that I wasn't in real life. You know, what mm-hmm. if he was in a bad marriage? What if he was stuck in his career? What if the worst thing that could possibly happen to him was the thing that actually saved him? Uh, yeah. So we turned it into a screenplay, but it was born out of characters uh, from my life. Yeah. I just want to thank you for sharing with that because the mental health stuff just in 2022, it just seems very important. Oh yeah, man. I, you know, I, I, my sisters and I had been dealing with that before it was a topical issue. You know, I mean, my mom had, uh, several bouts in the hospital and shock treatments with bipolar disorder. And when my dad passed away, she was in the hospital for a long time. Um, so, and this is before anyone even spoke about it. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was challenging and, I think being able to write, you know, write about it was uh, a healthy way of dealing with it in some way, you know? Absolutely. And let's talk about the actors that portray these roles. The casting, it's just this rock star group of of, uh, actors. You have Grace Kaufman, you have Reed Scott of Veep, you have John Hurd from Home Alone and Big, and up-and-comers like Sarinda Swan. 
So you and your co-creator, Todd, seem to have really tapped into these heavyweight actors, some before they even broke out. Like, did your past experience in front of the camera help you in casting? Yeah, for sure. Uh, in casting uh, the role of Nikki and Grace mm-hmm. Kaufman, um, she was the second girl we read. Uh, I got to give uh, kudos to Emily Schweber, who's an amazing independent film casting director. Um And when we finished the script and sent it out as a go movie and Emily put it out to all the agencies, it got great coverage, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, I, to this day, I'm just so grateful and getting Barbara Hershey for me, you know, I'm a big Woody Allen fan. Sure. Uh, and just the idea of her playing my mom, you know, I remember when I got the call that she said she would do it. I was on the East Coast in New Jersey with my family and I was like, oh my goodness. Like the same <laughs> girl that, you know, from Hannah and her sister is going to be on my set yeah. playing my lead. Um, and uh, yeah, and Ileana Douglas, Reed Scott, you know, not only came in an audition, but wrote me a whole email about how he'd like to get together for dinner and discuss why he, the the role was so important to him. Mm-hmm. And um and Grace Coffin, as I was saying, was the second girl we read out of probably, I don't know, two months of auditions, you know, hundreds of auditions. And nobody could live up to what she did, mm-hmm. which was which was be able to react without a predetermined performance. You know what I mean? Like she, I, we just, Todd and I just knew this girl was incredible. And, you know, she has a movie coming out uh, soon called The The Sky is Everywhere with Jason Siegel. And she's a rare talent. So give us a little behind the scenes insight of the casting process. You talked about kind of improvisation. Did you throw that into your casting? Like, did you throw them curveballs? No, I, I'll tell you what it was. It was a scene where Nikki's at her locker and her brother comes uh, and for the first time he sees her flip out and she starts to panic that everyone, the kids all hate her and she doesn't belong there. And it's the first time he sees her freak out. And instead of instead of her coming into the scene freaking out, Grace started the scene very perplexed, like, what are you doing here? And and then it built and it grew and I saw her turn. I saw her get upset. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I, it's just something you see in an audition where you're like, okay, this kid didn't come in, you know, with the training and the planning and everything timed out. She came in and reacted uh, in the middle of a scene we, we should have just cast her on day two and saved ourselves two months. <laughs> it's like real estate. Sometimes the first house is the right house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to sum up, what are your top casting tips for other directors looking to crush it and get the right talent for their scripts? Well, there's two different, uh, there's two different aspects to it. Number one, one aspect is trying to get the most high profile talent you can mm-hmm. um, to work for your budget. You know, I mean, I had Barbara Hershey and Reed Scott uh, changing in my daughter Chelsea's bedroom. You need to write, uh, you need to put out a script that has 
really interesting roles for actors. You know, not a not to say horror movies or genre movies are 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 lesser than or anything, but you know, you give an actor uh, a role that goes from A to B to C and has a very interesting arc and 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 maybe um, you know issues such as sister with you know the over medicating of children and diagnosing them with disorders and you can get actors that are way out of your league to start looking at your script and then the second tier is when you're sitting in the casting rooms um that's where i think my having been an actor uh helped me zone in or 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 you know find the actors that knew what the hell they were doing. Mm. Um, and I think when you're in the room with them, try and weed out the actors that come in and do the same thing every time and they have it all planned out and give me the actor that, you know, can, can adjust and adapt and change and stay with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. So you don't want a robot. I think they say genius is how much you can improvise, basically, on the spot. Yeah, I agree. Someone that can can stay with you and change and uh, and improvise, uh, they're going to serve you well when you're shooting. Yeah. So did you have any director interactions that really affected you when you were in front of the camera? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, you know, Ridley Scott, when I did White Squall, we were together for six months and uh, the things I learned from Ridley were, you know, nobody's going to work harder than you. You're going to set the tone as the director. And when Ridley's hanging off the side of the boat in Cape Town, South Africa and 50 sure. foot swells, yeah. you're not going to complain that you, <laughs> you know, you're not being used and you've been there for eight hours. You know, it's a work ethic. Um Ridley hires actors very carefully in the casting process. And then he's off with the visuals and you're there to do your job. Mm -hmm. So he very rarely gives you a note or he'll, you know, he'll go a, a little more or a little less. And that's really it. Like he yeah. hired you because he saw something. Um, and, and so, um, uh, uh, and then an, a, another great director in TV uh, Henry Winkler came on to Sabrina. It was like the fifth season. And, you know, when you're on a fifth season on a, on a, on a hit TV show, a lot of times you lose uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are trying to get back to their trailer or what time am I wrapped today, you know? And I remember Henry and I were working out a bit and I don't remember exactly what it was, but he called me at home at like nine or 10 o'clock at night to go over this bit that he had had a, you know, some idea for. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this guy who's been working for 30 years at the highest level is more concerned about how this scene is going to play than any of the actors, you know, it just taught me, like, if you're going to do it, then do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? At any level. You mm -hmm. come and you come to play with everything you got. 
you know, your motivation is not what time do I rap? It's how do I make this the best it can be? And, uh, and I'll never forget Henry calling me at like at late at night to work out a bit. And I was like, wow, it just woke me up. Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you just told two of the most motivational stories from two powerhouses in film and TV. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, Henry Winkler, it's so funny. I think of, uh, the show Barry, him being the acting coach, I just pictured him with that passion. Um, <laughs> just calling that's you. him, like, dude. That's totally yeah. <laughs> him. He is like all in, you know? Oh, that's so wonderful. And I'm glad that they both, you know, injected their influence on you. Yeah, me too. Are there any specific mistakes you made when you first started directing and producing that became valuable learning moments? Hmm. Uh, on, on Sister, we started to run out of money. Oh, wow. Um, I think your scheduling and your first AD mm-hmm. <clears throat> on a film are incredibly important. And, uh, and having money for post-production and finishing and color correction and music and sound editing, you know, have that all priced in. Mm-hmm. Because I remember... Uh, having to go raise money for post-production and that was not fun. But yeah, on on productions and and working with Group 9 Media, uh, the the production of the show was was my favorite part. Mm -hmm. I mean, anything, you know, there's so much that can go wrong in the development and the selling of the show or the financing of it. But I think, you know, most filmmakers have waited so long to direct their thing that when they're on the set, they, you know, they should know what they want. And it, mm-hmm. it usually goes well for them. So on another one of your recent projects, the short comedy series, Cruisers and Shakers, which was kind of about actors who are also Uber drivers trying to make it. It was released on Facebook Watch in 2019. How do you choose Facebook as the distribution platform? Well, I started working with Group 9 Media, which has just grown bigger and bigger. And the the niche or the genre of branded entertainment has has become enormous. And they had they have all these different properties like Thrillist, The Now, mm-hmm. Pop Sugar, uh, the Dodo, all these different platforms. And they look at the show and say, okay, the right audience for this show is Thrillist, which is a travel, dining, entertainment destination type uh, uh, website or, or uh, platform, if you will. And, uh, and their biggest audience is on Facebook. So we went to the Thrillist Facebook Watch page and launched the show. And I really, you know, basically I, I deferred to group nines, you know, uh, really intelligent, uh, you know, digital minds on how we would get the best audience. Cause you know, for me, I wanted to make the, the show that I wanted to make and tell the story to stories that I wanted to tell. But at the end of the day, I can't find the audience. They can mm-hmm. And, and that's where I deferred to them. And they, they were unbelievable in getting us, you know, millions of viewers. Yeah, I think every episode had over a million views. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think social media reaching viewers, do you think that's the kind of wave of the future when it comes to streaming and all? Yeah, I mean, there's, 
as you see with Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Paramount Plus, I mean, all these yeah. streamers. Uh, but then there's, you know, there's uh, Tubi and, you know, there, there's there's a whole second tier of enormous audiences uh, that are waiting for, for your content, you know? And uh, you don't have to go uh, sell to a network or a studio, then a network, and take a year to maybe get your show made, you know, you 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 can go and make it and find a platform with an audience. Yeah, it's so funny. When I saw Cruisers and Shakers, I saw 20 of my friends on Facebook had already seen and uh, followed it. That's awesome. Dude, I'm so proud of that show. It really, it's as funny as I wanted it to be. And it's it's about, you know, the shared economy and what what it does for for younger people and how they can continue to pursue their dreams. It, it was, it was, I'm really, really happy with that show. And it felt like very pulse of 2019, like, you know, smartphones, social media, streaming, Uber. So how does Hollywood feel different to you nowadays, as opposed to when you were coming of age on those blockbuster syndicated network shows, pre the smartphone, pre social media? I think there's, there's more opportunity now, mm-hmm. you know, back then you, it was like, um, an established system, you know, you go to the studio and you test and then you go to network and the network signs off on you and the show. And now, you know, they're maybe, they may be cut out of the equation. And if you want to do a show, uh, there are a lot, uh, many opportunities for you to do it without Paramount or Universal or Warner Brothers telling you that you can do it. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity now for talented people to make interesting, you know, entertaining, innovative content and find their, their own audience. Yeah. So in that vein, what's on your plate for 2022? Um, I'm hoping to continue working with Group 9 Media Um on a, another comedy series, hopefully season two of uh, Cruisers, which got held up um, due to the platform we sold it to, uh, d- dealing with a merger and uh, with a much bigger uh, uh, media company. Um, and then also uh, a podcast we're working on called the Inside 90s Podcast uh, with Group 9 and iHeart um, and you know, they, they, I heart, I mean, Group Nine just merged with Vox Media as well, so they they've become a, probably the biggest player in digital media, um, if you take out TikTok. But um, uh, there's they're, they're, and they're great people there. My friend Daniel Kellison and uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla they started this comedy a platform called Jash mm-hmm. with Sarah Silverman and Michael Sarah. And, and then they got acquired by Group 9 uh, when we were doing Cruisers. So I, I was with them when they started as a, as a small comedy platform and then became part of this bigger digital media conglomerate. And now they've just grown even bigger. So I'm, I'm you know, kind of trying to stay under that umbrella. And also I have, a, there's a comedy feature film that I'm, you know, want to do uh like I did with sister and just, you know, put it together myself. Uh, it's a, it's a sports basketball romantic comedy. There needs to be a new good sports movie. It's been a while. Yeah. Like a real sports comedy, you know, yeah. uh, give me some teen wolf. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not far from that. So what's the best film or show you've watched recently? What's like, what's on your mind right now? Oh, wow. I, there's so much good stuff. Did you see Dope Sick? Not yet. My sister is just over the moon about it. That's Michael Keaton, right? That's about uh, the Purdue, Purdue Pharmacy stuff. Yes, yes, yes. About the, uh, the, um, the creation of OxyContin. It's incredible. It's a true story. Uh, what else have I watched? Uh, oh, did you see Don't Look Up? Yeah, quite an ending. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't watched that many movies this year, I guess, like mm. everybody else. But that one, you know, and Adam McKay is one of our favorites. And Leo is at the top of his game. And you know they're talking about climate change. You know they're, that this is close to their hearts. It's, it's, I, I love that movie. I would recommend anyone living on this planet right now to go see that movie. Wonderful. And even people living off of it. If Elon Musk is on Mars, you should watch it. <laughs> Elon Musk should definitely watch it. <laughs> well, David, it's just been a wonderful experience talking to you. And thank you so much. Finding an audience can be the greatest challenge a filmmaker can face. FilmHub is the answer to the distribution problems of the film community. FilmHub has helped countless directors get their projects onto major streaming services. So if you are finding the distribution side of filmmaking a frustrating battle, let the number one film distribution platform do the heavy lifting for you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Ford Filmmaker on whatever podcast platform you're using. The smallest gesture makes a world of difference, and we so appreciate it.